0: Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nowen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nowen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nowen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nowen to audiences around the world. Each week we endeavor to bring you an interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry, or perhaps even a recording of Henry himself. We invite you to share the daily meditations and these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to reach around the world with Henry's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that each of us is a beloved child of God. Now, let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. Greg Paul is a pastor, a writer, and a very inspiring and challenging thinker about what it takes to be a Christian in today's world. Greg's the author of some wonderful books. God in the alley, close enough to hear God breathe, simply open, and the most recent, resurrecting religion. As founder and member of the sanctuary community, for almost 30 years Greg has been on the front lines of ministry to people, often living rough on the margins of the inner city. I want you to know Greg Paul and hear from him what true religion looks like in today's world. Greg, I'm delighted to welcome you to Henry Now and Now and Then. It's great to have you share a little bit about your story with us and perhaps a little bit of how Henry Now and has influenced you in your work and in your life. I want to start because, Greg, you're so well known and associated with something called the Sanctuary Community here in Toronto. Tell us what Sanctuary is. How has Sanctuary impacted you and in turn, how has it impacted the City of Toronto?
1: Sure. Thanks uh, for the invitation, Karen. I'm glad to be talking with you today. Sanctuary is uh, a community in the downtown core of Toronto. It's been around for almost 30 years and I've been part of it since the beginning. Um, it, uh, it's located, the center of it is located right near the Yonge Street corridor, which is Main Street, Toronto, uh, sort of at the top end of the immediate downtown core. Uh, and the community is a place that welcomes and holds at its center people who are poor and excluded. And, and in our context, that usually means people who are homeless or street involved or struggling with uh, addictions or mental illness or trauma issues sometimes gender identity issues, um, people who are marginalized because of all of those things. Um, and our and our goal is to live our lives together in some fashion. And of course, sometimes that looks like social service and sometimes it looks like church and sometimes it looks like relief mission. But really, it's about living our lives together. Not only those who are poor and excluded, but also those of us who, like me, come from places of privilege. You've written wonderfully
0: about the world that you're you're working with over the years. I know you wrote the book, uh, uh, God in the Alley, and I loved seeing some of the quotes here. They were from people that I enjoy as writers, like Eugene Peterson saying, Greg Paul tells us stories of horrors and crazies, misfits and rejects that sound as if they stepped out from the pages of the Bible. And another special friend, Leonard Sweet, author of numerous books, including Soul Tsunami, he wrote, I dare you to read this book out at more than one sitting each page is a seat belt that straps you in and the turning of the page pulls the straps tighter when the ride is over you'll want to start again i think you couldn't have higher praise than that you're a wonderful writer greg and and it's important to say that as we begin this because one of the things i want to ask about is a book that you've just written called resurrecting religion mm-hmm. why did you write that book
1: oh well thank you for the, for the comments by the way and you know Len is a is a really supportive guy and I really appreciate him and I should just say I've always been a little uncomfortable more than a little uncomfortable with Eugene Peterson's words which are on the cover of the book and I'm very appreciative of, of the endorsement of course but um, you know I've never thought about the people that he's describing as whores and crazies and misfits you know they're my friends they're my brothers and sisters and so uh, you know I think that's really key to understanding what sanctuary is about and it's really out of that, out of learning, relearning for me, the gospel of Jesus Christ in in the context of the people that that He put at the center of the kingdom: the poor, the poor in spirit, people who are mourning—that is, people whose lives are full of loss, um, people who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for instance—that uh, that, that uh, I. Learned enough, I think, to to try to write um, this this book, Resurrecting Religion. And th- the key w- with it, conceptually, is just that, for many good reasons, people have become very wary of religion, and even people who are themselves religious claim not to be religious. Um, they claim, for instance, that they have a relationship with uh, Jesus, but they're not religious, or they claim that they practice certain spiritual disciplines, but they're not religious. And, and really what they are uh, trying to distance themselves from is the bad behavior of religious organizations and religious people. And there's been lots of that, let's face it, down through history. But the problem is that we are religious people. And um, one of the things I appreciate about Henry is that he, who's never afraid of terms like religion, he understood that, that religion is how we live out publicly and communally what we actually really believe personally and uh, and privately. And so there, religion is about congruity with my inner spiritual life and my outer well, spiritual disciplines and activities in my life and so I wanted to to write something that that addressed that because i think one of the one of the challenges that we have in our world today is is that we have people who for instance claim to be followers of Jesus uh, claim to be christians and yet they they clearly don't follow jesus they they don't what they do and say doesn't sound anything like or look anything like the words and actions of of jesus so uh, i think what's happened in that case is that people have taken a very personal view of, for instance, salvation. So they, they will say, well, Jesus is my savior um, and, uh, and that's enough. And then they deny him really as the one who is master, teacher, Lord, you know, in their lives. And, and I think if, if we're going to have any kind of validity in the world or even in our own souls, we need to have congruence between those things. Uh,
0: I, I know you drew much from the book of James for this Mm -hmm. particular book tell me a little bit about that so that we kind of i understand who in a sense has inspired you in the word and then i'd love to hear about good religion what what does it look like sure but tell me a bit about why why
1: james well i think it started because james actually specifically addresses religion he he says that if you know if you uh, if you walk around and you talk a lot and you think that you're being a good person that 's just false religion. Uh, he says this is what true religion is about it's about looking after uh, which also means looking out for um, and and truly looking at wi- widows and orphans uh, and widows and orphans of course are are the categories of people that in the time of James and in the Old Testament who were most vulnerable and most needy um, and so James is saying the true religion is is watching out for people who are really poor and excluded and vulnerable in society and to keep yourself unspotted by the world and then he goes on and he, and he talks about what that means and he talks about uh, how, dangerous it is and how wrong it is when we favor people who are wealthy over people who are poor. So so that's really what struck me when I began to wrestle with this sense that everybody keeps saying that they're not religious, but but really they are, um, or, or m- most are. Uh, so what do we do with that? And if, if there's such a thing as bad religion, the answer to it is not no religion. I'd argue that it's what James describes as, as true religion. And as I look more at at the writing of James, who, by the way, was Jesus' brother. And we're not talking here about the James of Peter, James, and John. This is the brother of Jesus who wrote the epistle. And and so really familiar with Jesus as a person growing up and with his teaching, but a late convert, actually, to believing that his brother was the Messiah. And and James writes this short little letter that really is an attempt to— to explain and work out what it looks like in real time to follow the teachings of Jesus and especially his, his sermon on the Mount. You begin to realize that, that James is quoting from or referencing the Beatitudes in particular throughout the course of his little letter. And, and his letter really is amazingly hard on people who are wealthy and privileged and really lifts up people who are poor and excluded. And and so um, that resonated with me, of course, because I've I've spent my life with uh, living among people who are really poor and excluded, although I myself am a person of privilege. So, you know, that's that's really where it came from, deciding to work from the from the Epistle of James.
0: I love the subtitle to your book. It's called Resurrecting Religion, but you write, Finding Our Way Back to the good news, which I think is, is, as I've I've been reading it, that's exactly what you're doing, is it kind of redirecting us and, um, what's the good news that we're missing?
1: Well, it's all right there, isn't it? It's the teaching of Jesus. It's it's that people who are are poor and excluded are actually right at the center of the kingdom of God. And the great news for somebody who's relatively speaking wealthy and wealthy and privileged like me is that if there's room for the for the least of these, quote unquote, as Jesus referred to them in Matthew 25, if there's room for the least of these, there's also room for me. <laughs> um, uh, this Sunday, I'll be speaking uh, from a passage in, in Luke in which Jesus uh, heals the servant of a Roman centurion. And, and a Roman centurion was was at the opposite end of the scale of everything that Jesus was te- teaching about. He was an oppressor. He was powerful. Relatively speaking, he would have been wealthy. Um, so he's not the person that you expect Jesus to treat well, and yet Jesus does. and And he does this because, as I said, when there's room for the least of these, there's room for everybody. I think that's really good news for everyone,
0: very good news, very good news it It's interesting um I, I, I just an aside, but it's an important aside as I read your books i I see a writer who with that level of inner honesty, reminds me very much of Henry and how Henry mm. wrote and um he he often wrote out of the identifiable flaws within him that he was wrestling with and finding, somehow finding God's answers for and finding God's grace for. Um, I find that as I read you, and I find that as I I listen now. Has Henry been an influence for you?
1: Oh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm gratified to hear that. You know, Henry was the first spiritual writer I ever read who was willing to speak about his own flaws and about his own neediness. Everybody else I had ever read, and a great many of the writers that I've read since, spoke from a position of inviolable authority, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And and Henry spoke uh, and wrote really out of vulnerability, a tremendous wisdom also, but, but out of vulnerability. And uh, that's such a gospel position to take, to, to be honest about your need. You know, mm-hmm. the people that Jesus responds to, are the people who come to him and say, Look, I'm I'm in need. I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to, to help me to see you again. I need you to heal my servant. I need you to heal me. <laughs> I need you to cast the demon out of my son. You know? Those are the people that Jesus responds to. And so that kind of honesty I think was was really, really powerful for me to encounter in the first place. Um I think it, it really helped to begin to dismantle some of the uh, ego and egotism that uh that i had both naturally and had had inculcated in me by the religious systems of of my own youth and then the other thing that's been really profoundly impactful from henry and of course Venier as well was the i this this idea which is again is uh, totally rooted in the gospels that if we're serious about being the people of God, then we need to place people who are poor and excluded and whose lives have been full of loss uh, and who hunger and thirst for justice right at the center of the community. They're the people that Jesus says are the are center of the kingdom of God. They are the people that he, about whom he says uh, to the ones that he welcomes into the kingdom at the end of, of all things or the consummation of all things is, you know, come into my kingdom because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you looked after me. When I was a, well, a foreigner, you welcomed me and so on. Um, th- those are the people that Jesus says are are important. And you can see and hear echoes of this in uh, the prophets, of course, as well. Um, it's not a new idea, but Jesus really hammered on it. And, and I think, uh, again, my encounters with first with the writing of Henry and then with, with Henry as a person uh, were the first encounters I'd ever had with somebody who was saying, um, you know, when you encounter somebody who is poor and excluded, understand that this person is at the center of the kingdom of God, not you. Understand that this person has something to teach you. Um, something to bless you with. This person has uh, has a wealth, a spiritual wealth that maybe you don't have. So make sure that you're vulnerable. Don't come from a, a, a position of condescension or a position of power. Um, in fact, if you want to be like Jesus, you'll find ways of giving away whatever power the world has conferred upon you. So it was a profound impact and still is at sanctuary.
0: It's interesting because uh, when Jesus starts To describe the judgment he really talks about in that you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. So really seeing Mm -hmm. Christ in another whether Mm -hmm. they are weak or strong seeing Christ in everyone and recognizing the opportunity that we have and how we deal with people, how we love them, how we receive Mm -hmm. them, how we forgive them, how we include them. Um, It's interesting because it brings to mind right now the present that we're living through right now where we are looking at what has just i think exploded across north america and certainly around the world and that is the sense of injustice racial injustice um having um mistreated and abused native people people of color people uh we disadvantaged people for generations and it this is quite a time of reckoning. What do you see? How, how do you speak to that as a person who, who's has already been um, moved and uh, challenged to put yeah. people of need in the midst of your ministry? Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. Well, the things that you've mentioned are, are really positive. You know, this, 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 uh, growing awareness of injustice and this mm-hmm. uh, growing honesty about injustice the unfortunate thing is is that there is a, a at least an equal and opposite reaction which is all about doubling down on power mm-hmm. and hegemony um from the people who already have it and unfortunately it's people who identify as christians who seem to be the, the dominant drivers of of that way of thinking and being and here's where i would argue that that their true religion is not the religion of Jesus, although they say that they are Christians and that that's why they're behaving this way. They're not following the teaching of Jesus. They're not behaving as Jesus would behave. Uh, I saw something uh, on social media the other day about some pastor in the United States who's calling for civil war. Mm. I just think like, what, what? What on earth is this? This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, um, I, you know, we have this this enormous dichotomy there's this great gap and and we it seems to become harder and harder to speak across the gulf between the people for for instance who say black lives matter and on the other side people who say all lives matter and and they just they're speaking a different language they don't get each other and so uh, t- what what i would say is that i i feel like I, what i've written in in resurrecting religion is is actually really an an important word for the time which is to say if if you are serious about following jesus then then actually look at what he teaches and do your best to live that do do your best to actually follow him i I had an experience a few years ago where i i did often had spoken to church groups saying if you want help figuring out how to exegete your community that's something that i've learned a little bit about and i would be glad to help so this church invited me to do it sat down with a group this one night and just as an attempt to to um kind of take the temperature of the group i said to them you know well what what would you say it means to be a follower of jesus what does what kinds of things do followers of jesus do And they came out with answers like, well, they pray and they study the Bible and they go to church and, and, uh, and then they kind of sputtered to a stop, you know, and you could tell that as the people came up with these answers, they realized that these were not good answers, that they, they might be true in and of themselves, but they weren't enough. And, and I let the pause hang there for a bit. And then I said, we know, we know it's not enough, don't we? So what does it? really mean? What would a follower of Jesus do, actually do, in the real world? And there was another long pause, and then one, one person spoke up and said, well, I guess we'd go where Jesus went, and we would do what Jesus did. Which I thought was brilliant. It was so simple, so clear, and so true. If you're going to follow somebody, you go where they go, and you try to do what they do. So what would it mean in a world such as ours, where... Uh, you know, we've got people who, um, who are arming themselves, particularly in the U.S., uh, uh, to defend themselves against perceived threats and other people, black people who are being murdered by police officers uh, routinely, almost, it seems. And it happens to a degree here in Canada as well. What, what would it mean for people who claim to be Christians if they actually began to do that? to say, well, I'm gonna go where Jesus went. Well, where did Jesus go? Well, he went to places where people were poor. He walked amongst the people who were in need. He walked amongst the people who were um, in danger or who did not have enough. He, he came to an oppressed nation. He didn't arrange for himself to be born into the household of the Caesar um so so that's first thing we we'd go where the people are that Jesus described as being the beatitudes people and what would we do well some of the, what are the things that Jesus did he fed the hungry and um and he healed the sick and he cast out demons and and he flipped the tables uh in the temple because of unjust economic stuff um he raised the dead now some of that obviously takes Uh, takes little interpretation i'm not sure what it means for us honestly to to cast out demons or or raise the dead now but but we can you know we can kind of figure that stuff out but but we need to be serious about it wouldn't we we need to take it seriously what does it mean for me day to day and for my community of faith to actually live this way together but that's what we've been trying to live out at sanctuary for the past 30 years
0: It's interesting because I'm reminded of something that, in a sense, Henry became known for was downward mobility, the choice to leave the intellectual arena where he was, um, you know, he'd been at Yale, he'd been at Harvard, and he was really well received by students and loved by um, readers and all of those kinds of things which kind of positioned him. What a big decision to say, I'm going to leave that and I'm going to go to a community where nobody can read one of the books that I've, I've written, yes. you know, going to Larch, the L'Arche Daybreak community, which was a community of um, adults with developmental disabilities, intellectual dis- disabilities, but in a sense, letting go of everything that sort of says you've arrived and you're successful and, and finding success in coming down and, and, and making choices that connect us in a very real way to the world that we are called into. And and we can all do that at any point in our life. We, we, can, we may be going in one direction, but we can stop, reevaluate, and say, if I'm going to follow Christ, it's going to look different than yeah. everybody else around me. It's got to look different. Yeah. I have the opportunity to make that choice.
1: Yeah. It was the most powerful thing Henry did, wasn't it? When he left uh, the the big Ivy League universities and and went to a little community of handicapped people in um, you know north of Toronto, yeah. I think I think if he hadn't done that, um, no doubt Henry would have a place in you know academic theology and and uh, devotional spirituality and so on. But it would be it would be minimal, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to diminish him or his skills or anything like mm-hmm. that. But, but he would he would still be speaking only to, to academia, I think. His mm-hmm. writings would still be only speaking to, to a smaller and smaller group of people in academia. And instead, um, he's, he's become, uh, or his writings and his, his life have become a testament uh, really around the world to, to a great many people. Uh, who can access it not because they're academics, but because, you know, maybe they have a um, a son or a daughter who has an intellectual disability, uh, or they know somebody else who does, or or somebody like me who's getting involved with people who have a lot of other kinds of issues, but but there's some coherence with uh, with what Henry taught and said. So, uh, I, I mean, it's a it's a powerful powerful thing, and it shouldn't be a dis uh, any sort of a surprise to us because it's what Jesus did, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus left complete privilege and, and and came to a place where he just, he didn't have any privilege um, and put himself in the power of the people there. So uh, if, again, if we're serious about following Jesus, what Henry did makes perfect sense. And it's just a matter of, of who we follow.
0: It's interesting for me um, too, as I I look at Henry's, life you know i i love looking at people who are continually growing continually growing and changing and coming to Larsh daybreak opened henry up to some much deeper experiences spiritual experiences that really um, were life changing for him and really out of that was birthed his his profound clear understanding that you are god's beloved and once yes. he got that, once because his own war was whether God could love him. I mean, he, yeah. he had all sorts of... I, I remember when he writes about self-hatred, he writes about it with an honesty because he has his own to deal with, his own doubts about himself. But it's wonderful um, in that whole process to come to that place, that ground place that you can give to anybody in your life, that you are beloved by God. You don't have to achieve to be beloved by God. You are beloved by God because Jesus comes down to where we are and loves us and says, I love you and I want you and you're mine. So it, it's quite powerful and and, um, and it's liberating. It's really liberating. You've got sure. a new book on the go that's coming out this fall. Tell us about that because it's, it looks really interesting. What's it called? What's it about? Let's hear.
1: Yeah, it's called Queer Prophets. Um, the surprise ending to the bible 's story of gender and sexual identity um it 's uh, it 's got a certainly got a theological core and argument at the center of it but um but it 's written as a narrative it 's a story of my own multi decade struggle to find better answers to um the exclusion of, of gay, lesbian, bi, trans, queer, two-spirited, non-binary folks, that whole continuum of people who are, uh, who are not cisgendered. Um, and, uh, and so really, it's interesting, you were just talking about being the beloved. Really, what kept me going in that search was a sense that um, if, if God is truly love and the God I'm slowly coming to know a little bit better Certainly, as a God of love, then then how is it that that he can create people who have particular struggles which apparently condemn them? And and so I I found that uh, I had a growing sense of dissonance between this God who says you are my beloved, and the scriptures that that apparently said that if you are queer then there was no place for you in the kingdom of God. And, and so it was, it's the story of my struggle to, to find better answers to that. I think I found a, a better answer for me anyway. And um, I won't give the story away, but, uh, but really it is about understanding that the Bible is presented as a story. And, and in order to understand the beginning and everything that happens in the middle, you have to look to the ending. <laughs> I could put it like that. That, that
0: that sounds like a good way of summing it up. I'm sure that there's many that are listening that will go, I'd want to. i I'd like to read what you've got to say about that. I want to know what you've found because obviously, interestingly enough, you live really at uh, a point in North America which has a very large gay community. Toronto in particular does and, and you're right almost at the crossroads of that in terms of, of the location of sanctuary and it is a really important question to be asking and and life-giving to come with the right answers
1: um, yeah i you know i didn't have any intention of kind of delving into this stuff when i ended up doing street outreach downtown in the early 90s but discovered very quickly that although i you know i i've been involved in street outreach uh, of various kinds for a decade before that but discovered when i was there day by day how truly um, present the queer folk were and that we were in the corner of of uh, of a, uh one of the largest gay communities in the world at the time and in fact at the time it was called the gay ghetto because it it was a ghetto it wasn't safe for people who were gay to be outside of the in, of the immediate environs yeah i tell stories about picking uh, picking a guy up uh who uh, on young street who had been beaten almost senseless and mm. um in the middle of the night you know because he'd wandered outside of that area and somebody would found him on young street put the boots to him so uh you know really if if you invest yourself in a neighborhood it's amazing the stuff that you will find and and if you're committed to this idea that that it's the least of these who need that you need to go find and be with in the name of jesus then it's going to shape your whole path and it's going to shape who you become. And I might add that it will actually lead you deeper and deeper into the reality that that Henry found also, that that you yourself are the beloved. I mean, I think I always believed that intellectually, but I've learned it, um, how would I say, experientially, uh, learned it in my guts, (laughs) learned it in my heart, through the years, in the context of a community of of people who are really in bad shape in in normal human terms, I've learned it, it more of it there than I have any t- anywhere else, including in the church and you know from theology and so on.
0: You're um, you're a creative force to be dealt with, by the way, Greg well, Paul. You. you you have wonderful ideas, and you have a wonderful way of writing about them and I'm going to encourage those that are listening to us to go to our website and get details about the books that Greg has written. And um, I'm just so grateful to get some time to talk with you about this. I want to know, when you're giving out so much and you're kind of on the front lines of ministry on a daily and weekly and monthly basis, what renews you? What's renewing you today? Where has God got his finger on your life right now?
1: Well, for many years, um, a big part of what renewed me was the love and care that I received from people who were poor and excluded uh, from street people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they really did. They loved me and cared for me and looked after me really well when I was going through very t- difficult stuff in my own life. And I used to say to new staff people who are joining us at Sanctuary, this is how you'll survive. You'll survive not just because you have supports from outside of the community but because you make yourself open and vulnerable not enough to receive the love and the care of the people that you think you are here to serve and and that certainly is stuff that henry lived and taught as well i mean his books about adam for instance is uh, kind of explain that really thoroughly um so that for many years was was a big part of of it um uh, now i need to be uh, honest about this and say that for the last three years i've struggled a great deal with my own post-trauma issues and that's from 30 years of seeing people that i love die in uh, often horrible circumstances and um and that's done some damage to me and it's done some damage partly because we didn't in the early days know how to how to deal with that stuff very well. So mm. I'm hopeful that younger staff won't won't um, deal with it the same way I'm dealing with it now. but um, at this at this point um, i I need to be mostly physically away from sanctuary. I'm still involved in some ways, but I need to be physically out of the immediate environment. but that has been a loss and a grief in itself not being able to be there because. Uh, That's my family. And those are people that I loved. And those are people who love me and, um, and being loved by people is the greatest therapy there is. <laughs> so, I, I mean, there's lots of other technical stuff. I had, you know, a network of mentors and caregivers and Henry in early days was one of those people. And, um, you know, uh, getting therapy counseling of one kind or another is really critical, uh, either continuously or or particular points during your journey Um, times of retreat you know jesus in the gospels is always disappearing to go out into the desert or up the mountain or somewhere away from his disciples Mm. for a couple of days and and so he teaches us very clearly by his actions that we need to retreat times of sabbath Um, so there's a whole variety of things that i think we we need to do to take care of ourselves Um, but really ultimately human connection is, is what, uh, what what fills our cup. And that's certainly been my experience. I, I so appreciate your honesty. You
0: know, it's great to put up this thing and say it's all ideal, but I really appreciate your honesty. It's funny, it reminds me of a moment in my own life when I felt God say, are you willing to be plowed under? You know, we talk about having mm. a harvest, being planted, being a seed, bringing a harvest. And then I remember hearing very clearly, are you willing to be plowed under? And mm-hmm. there are times I think of being plowed under. And they're dark and they're hard times. But there's also God has has a new crop in mind, has something new mm-hmm. in mind in our lives. And, and uh, I'm very struck by that. I, I appreciate your honesty. I hope people can hear in that the truth of that there are times that we just need to be tended to we can't do all the tending at the time um you shared a story with me yesterday which I I just loved and I it's sort of almost a non-sequitur but I'm just going to ask you to share it again you told me about that Henry once
1: blessed you I'd like
0: to know what that was about how did that come about (laughs) and what did it mean to you I was kind of interesting
1: it well it was at my first or second meeting with Henry I think um and it was a friend of mine named Mike Clark, who had known Henry for a little bit, who took me to, to visit with Henry up at day, daybreak. And we met with Henry in his room, which was a very modest little room with a single bed and a couple of chairs and a little coffee table. And and uh, we sat there and we talked for quite a while. And, and you know, you need to understand that I was not in any way Catholic Um I was coming from a very fundamentalist evangelical background. I was maybe just uh, a few years into um, getting out of the kind of the very fundamentalist aspect of it, but would certainly still describe myself as an evangelical. I should just pause and say that I think probably that meant something a little different than it means to most people today. Nevertheless, <laughs> very, very conservative, very Protestant, um, and Henry just listened. You know, he was such a great listener, and and he was always when you spoke to him, he'd be sitting on the edge of his seat, uh, with his you know his, his chin in his hand and looking right into your eyes, as <laughs> almost as if he couldn't get enough. And <laughs> and uh, and then when when it was time to go, I don't remember anything he said really, uh, but I know I kind of blurted out a whole pile of stuff. And when when it was time for us to go, um he just said, he said, let let me bless you. And he embraced me very lightly and then put one hand on my shoulder and made a sign of the cross on my forehead. And I had never experienced anything like that. I mean, for lots of folks, I suppose that would be just routine. But for me, it was something totally different. And I think it was the first time in my life that I felt consciously as if I had been blessed. Mm. Um, It was a powerful moment for me. And, and in fact, I would say that um, to greater and lesser degrees, I've spent all of these years since asking myself periodically, well, how can I bless people the way Henry blessed me? That's um, You know, what, what word is there? What symbol is there? What embrace is there that, that would tell somebody that that person is the beloved of God? It's
0: interesting because the, the mark of the cross is, you know, m- much more of a Catholic tradition than it is a, perhaps a Protestant. But but the, the thing you described is just so rich to everyone. When somebody looks at you and really sees you and really listens. Yeah. And my sense is that you have been a blessing to so many because you see them and you listen. And I've also really appreciated you saying how much you need them to see you and mm-hmm. listen to you too, that it's mutual. It's not you coming down from someplace and giving out, but it's it's the mutuality of relationship that's very truthful.
1: Yeah, I think I think if you're really following the way of Jesus, it, it really puts the boats to your ego. Mm. Um, you know, I, I often say that when I first arrived at what would become sanctuary, um, commissioned as a missionary from a a suburban church, an evangelical church. I thought I was there to, um, to preach the gospel to people and to be the presence of Christ to people. And I discovered that Jesus had got there before me <laughs> and that he was waiting for me and that he was waiting for me and in poor, broken people who uh, previously I would have said, look, nothing like Jesus. And I began to understand that it was precisely because they were poor and broken, that they looked very much like Jesus. So, you know, that was a conversion for me, I would say.
0: I, I have, uh, I've loved this conversation. I've enjoyed it. I think others will as well. And I'm making promises to everybody. Go to our website and you'll, you'll see the books that Greg has written and you'll get to know him a little bit better. I think this conversation has been really birthed of the heart of that book that he wrote, Resurrection Religion, Finding Our Way Back to the good news and the good news is right in the middle there it's jesus
1: Uh, although i'm not much of a social media guy i do have an author page on facebook and if people want sort of uh, information about book stuff um, certainly they could they could go there or uh, except for this new book that's coming out all my other books are available through amazon or indigo or many of those places
0: that's great. That's great. I hope you get lots of orders. <laughs> Thanks so much for, for talking with us today. Um, Thanks, Karen. It's thank my you. pleasure. Yeah, you're you're a gem and and we've loved it. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope this conversation with Greg Paul has left you wanting more. For more resources related to today's podcast, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You can find additional content book suggestions, and other things that we talked about today. If you're enjoying our Now and Then podcast, please give us a thumbs up or a good review, and be sure to invite your friends and family to listen and to sign up for our daily free Henry Now and Meditations. Thanks for listening. Until next time.